Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the season finale of my podcast for this season one. I want to thank you all for joining me this year on what has been a new idea to share my thoughts on a podcast in addition to my writing and in addition to my speaking and teaching that I do with teachers and educators, as well as parents online. So this season has been fun. It has been um, something that has challenged me, and I am so grateful that I've been able to share these ideas with you in some of the solo posts that I've made, but also in the interviews that I've done. Um, I interviewed Penn Holderness about his ADHD and what it was like for him in school. I interviewed my favorites, Dr. Mona Delahook and Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, and shared their ideas about how we are building connection and attachment and all the things that go into looking beyond behaviors and into kids' nervous systems before we can even start to teach them. And I'm so passionate about those ideas, and I hope that you keep learning with me even when the podcast is not providing new ideas, but you can go back and re-listen to some of those um, because sometimes it helps just to re-listen and keep learning that way. So today I am ending things with a final Q&A post where I'm going to go through two very important questions I've gotten recently. One is about when to pursue a diagnosis for your child, even if they're not having trouble at school. The second question is about ADHD and empathy. I get this question a lot because a lot of impulsive children do not think yet about other people, or if they are thinking about other people, they're thinking about it later and after their body has done the thing, after they have, you know, gotten in trouble for something. And it's hard to be in trouble and be empathetic towards others at the same time. So I'm going to go into answering that. 
So this first question is from a parent whose child is young. Um, This child is in preschool. They're not yet having challenges at school, but at home, this child is melting down every day, experiencing a lot of what we would call like burnout or overwhelm after the school day. And so when you have a presentation like this, it might make sense. Okay, they're doing okay at school. Let's not worry about an evaluation until we need to have an evaluation, which some people define as it's interfering with their learning. This, of course, is my training as a school psychologist. But if we think about this from a more global perspective, we also want to think about development is happening all the time. And if there is something that could support this child, even outside of the school day, we want to do it. So my question to always ask is, is this child distressed? So I think it's time to pursue an evaluation if we think that child is distressed in any way, or if that distress or anxiety, overwhelm, whatever we want to call it, is interfering with their development. So sometimes something is working during the school day. Something is working during that preschool day where a child has more structure, has predictability. And sometimes it's the opposite. Something's not working at school and it is working at home. So even though there could be something that is working, if you feel like that gut feeling as a parent or as a teacher working with a child that you need to know more about this child's brain wiring, you need to know why they're overwhelmed by a certain thing, or you just have that feeling that something is different or developing asynchronously in this child, more information is going to be better as we follow that child over time. Now that said, a child who has inconsistent presentations of symptoms, they may not meet criteria for something. They may not get a diagnosis, but in my experience, it's always very helpful to have testing from a preschool age child when they are evaluated again, if they're evaluated again in elementary school, to look back and think, okay, so this is what this child looked like, felt like, had trouble with, was successful with. This is the picture of what that looked like for this child and this family three years ago or five years ago. And that can be helpful to have, even if there's not a diagnosis. The other thing to think about is that there are wait lists everywhere you turn right now, and that's because there are not enough mental health professionals for all the people that are seeking out mental health support. But then under the frame of neurodivergence, there's also developmental therapies, speech-language pathologists, occupational therapists. So you don't necessarily need a mental health professional. Um, you could also be working with one of those professionals to support the skill development of your child. So it may be that you don't need a developmental evaluation, or you, if you do, um, you may be looking at OT or speech-language therapy. Just keep those options open as well. But the bottom line here is when a child is distressed, let's look for more information. And it's very possible for inconsistencies to be happening, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't look further at it. You also could have an intake with a professional and let them tell you. Let them say, I don't think we've, I don't think if I evaluated this child, I would find anything. Or what you're describing sounds like a typically developing child to me. So sometimes it's just a consultation with your pediatrician or maybe an occupational therapist or speech language pathologist to look further into these concerns before you decide what to do. 
I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. I want to welcome any parents who are new to this journey. If your child has just been identified as autistic or diagnosed with ADHD, learning differences, or is twice exceptional, welcome. You are in the right place. You may also be overwhelmed by all the calls and emails you're having to make to providers as you're building your child's team. That's why I created the Referral Tracker, which is a free download at learnwithdremily.com tracker. This free resource explains what each provider does and gives you a template to keep track of all your research. Just go to learnwithdremily.com tracker to get started. So the second question I have on ADHD and empathy, I get this one a lot. And I think I get this question a lot because when children present with not having a lot of empathy, like they present as like, I don't care about this, or I don't care that I hurt their feelings. First of all, a lot of those things are said in a moment of anger. And we don't say kids and adults don't say the most accurate things when we're angry. So I'm only concerned if a child is not very empathetic when they're calm, but then also there may be something going on underneath that that we want to think about. And so let your child cool off and then try to figure out um, where this weakness and empathy might be coming from. Now, just to back up, when we're thinking about empathy, what we're really thinking about here is the ability to feel feelings for someone else when you are actually not the one that that thing is happening to. So in typical development, you know, somewhere in the elementary years, this develops in terms of being able to see someone in a negative situation and feel like you can feel what it's like to be in that situation. Now, of course, autistic children with weaknesses and making social predictions and perspective taking, this is a hard skill for them. And it's not that they aren't empathetic. It's that they may only have empathy at certain times when they're younger to their favorite things or their favorite animals. So some of that rolls out kind of differently in terms of development with empathy in autistic children. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this if you have a child who's very empathetic towards animals and not so much towards people um, and just thinking about the differences you see there. So when we're talking, though, just about a child with ADHD, children with ADHD are incredibly impulsive. They're incredibly in the moment. I'm looking at what's right in front of me and I'm not really thinking about other things. And it's not that they don't have empathy. It's that they're not paying attention to how they feel about that thing. So one of the ways we can work on this with them is to think about helping them slow down and not working on this at a time when they're upset. And so generally speaking, 
there are some kids with ADHD are sometimes behind the curve socially because they're so impulsive. They may have a weaker repertoire of social situations that they can think of that reminds them of this or that and that they're connecting because of the weaknesses and what they're paying attention to. So we have to remember that it's not that they lack empathy. It just might be developing a little bit slower and they may have empathy towards things, people and things they care about, but not necessarily towards their siblings, for instance, if their siblings are annoying to them. So when we think of empathy this way, we can create little moments for our children that we can think about and talk about having perspective outside of themselves. And this only really works when a child is calm and regulated because if they're feeling like they're in trouble, all they can really spend their energy thinking on is protecting themselves. And it's incredibly hard to think about anyone else when you're just working on protecting yourself and not wanting to get in trouble. This is why children with ADHD more often lie because they're impulsive and they do the thing and then they impulsively want to get out of doing the thing. So then they lie and then they pack themselves into a corner and think about adding on to that asking them how they would feel if they were the other person in that situation, that's a really heavy load for them to think about. And they probably can't even process that at that moment. So we've really got to think about the emotional load that we're asking kids to do in these moments and simplifying it for them. So waiting until our child is calm and connected, and then often talking with them about another character in a story or another person that they know and not them. So when we talk about them, it can be very vulnerable. When we talk about a mistake that they made or some harm that they may have caused someone and how would they feel about it, sometimes kids can be so vulnerable in those moments they can't do any learning. They're just overwhelmed by their vulnerability and it's a type of feeling in trouble again, right? So we want to help them grow their emotional stamina with these ideas outside of the heated moment when they're calm. And that's why I often use lots of books and stories with kids when I talk with them to help them learn these things outside of feeling vulnerable. And then we can start talking about how they may have felt or how that character felt in a story when someone was either mean to them or unkind to them or said something to them that was not thought through. So then we can talk about what to do instead. And you're planting seeds of the understanding around this in a way that your child can receive it because they're calm and connected and not feeling like you're talking about them, but you're you're getting the information in there. So that's one way that you can work on empathy with kids with ADHD because a lot of what we do in the moment with kids doesn't quite sink in because they're emotionally overwhelmed and their attention is short. The last thing I'll add to this empathy discussion is something I talk about a lot, which is when we ask kids to say, I'm sorry. And we do this a lot. Culturally, we think that we need to check this box and say, we've got to have you say, I'm sorry to this child. And I think apologizing is important, but I want us to take it a step further because saying I'm sorry can become rote And it can become empty when we're just asking children to do it. So we want to take it a step further and coach them to check in on the other person about how they're feeling. And this may not be able to happen until after a child has calmed down, and that's okay. It could be the next day and you're checking back in. 
But we want a child to be able to check in with their sibling or with a classmate to make sure that person is okay, because that builds empathy organically and brings the conflict to a resolution and gives them practice of this arc of conflict of it started this way and everyone got upset and then I felt bad and then I had to calm down and now I'm going to check on everyone and make sure they're okay. So whether it's checking to make sure that something is fixed that got broken when someone was mad or someone was okay that got pushed or someone is okay that got left out, think about those situations and having kids check in on each other. And then looking for lots of ways to point out in your family how we show empathy to everything. We show empathy to our surroundings, to our world, to our animals and plants and families that we share space with. Um, And so there's a bigger feeling of, of community around this idea of empathy and kids often will not fully learn this until the maturity meets the experience. And so helping them have these experiences and understand these ideas, but also knowing that some kids, especially with ADHD, just have to mature into this skill. So that is the Q&A for today. I also want to remind you, I have a free parenting class coming up on how to talk to your child about their neurodivergence. This is a common question I get and such an important conversation to have with your kids. It's going to be Friday, November 3rd at 10 a.m. I'm going to keep it short, under 30 minutes, because I know everyone is busy, but this is a topic that I've wanted to give y'all a little feedback on for a while and I hope that it's helpful. You can go to learnwithdremily.com slash parent class to grab the link for that. It will be recorded but you have to register to get the replay and I hope you all have a great holiday season and thank you so much for joining me on season one. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.